Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Knowledge Exchange podcast. I'm your host, Daniel, lead mentor at the Knowledge Exchange, where we run online courses and online mentorship. Check it out at tkex.org. We've got some live online courses coming up later in the year, as well as a self-paced online BPS course. If you're keen to upskill on motivational interviewing, communication skills, and pain science principles in action. I'm joined today all the way from the other side of the world in perhaps a much hotter country than in Australia right now, all the way from Arizona, Ryan Whited. He's a trainer, a guru of all sorts, and I say that in the nicest way possible. He's been super engaged and has been sparking some very interesting discussions. He's the owner of Paragon Athletics, and I'm keen to dive into some discussion today on exercise, on the role of exercise, and perhaps the culture around exercise and pain. So Ryan, thank you for making the time for us. Thank you so much for having me, Daniel. Yeah, it's uh, exciting that anybody would want to hear what I have to say about on these topics. <laughs> so Ryan, wanted to, to dive into your, your story. I know you've had a, quite a journey. Well, to provide you with a good context, I might go uh, all the way back to even my childhood because it is a little bit unique. I was raised the son of a racehorse jockey and that that lifestyle is perilous to say the least so i was checked out of school and picked up from friends houses constantly to be told that my dad was in the hospital again and and it was sort of constant in our uh, discussion of injury and pain and all things around those things was a constant topic at dinner and it also happened to dictate our sense of stability as a family and our fiscal stability. So that I think that was actually just recently pointed out to me by somebody that I was working with They said when I was talking about my dad and they said, oh, that's probably why you're obsessed with this. And I went, oh, you're probably right. So, <laughs> uh, so I also became an athlete and a sponsored athlete for nearly 20 years. And I want to be an an athlete my entire life. Got my first trainer's license at around 21. I'm 47 now. And really have just stayed engaged in this world to an obsessive extent for a great number of years. Even though I never formally progressed my education, I have continued to self-educate for many, many years. So and then it was a series of injuries, and I know that we all hear those stories from so many of the folks that we talk to, that it was a series of injuries that really, really led me to wanting to know what I was talking about because people trusted me with their health. And if I felt like I had failed them, if pain was involved in their experience at all. And so I got really obsessed with knowing how to assess people, and I started going to courses all over, and uh, it, it really, I, I wanted to be able to prevent anybody from experiencing pain from injury, <laughs> including myself. And so that was really most of my journey. And then, obviously, we all relate pain to injury. So I thought I should know something about pain, and that led me into furthering my knowledge on pain and as we all know things have changed in that world 
over the last few years. So in a nutshell, that is my story. Awesome. Um, I definitely can resonate with the obsessiveness of learning as much as possible to, to help clients and to, if as much as possible, pr that prevention of injury, prevention of pain, and the idea that if we can focus on someone's health, we can perhaps lead them down a more helpful route versus the, the sickness, the injury, medical route. And I'm curious with your, your courses, uh, I know that you had a lot, a long list of them. What kind of spurred you into perhaps changing tact? Because you mentioned that you were more into the assessment process, more into the, the ins and outs of the biomechanical process. Then with that knowledge, you then added pain science. Was there a, a change in terms of your, your journey clinically or in practice? I, I got much better at scrutinizing literature. And it pushed me away from assessments. And I thought also that it gave a false representation of uh, what I was able to see into biomechanically with folks. Of course, you know, we all know that it matters when it matters, but it kind of reinforced the pathoanatomy model to, in folks' mind. And so I, I wanted to move away from structuralist view with folks that I worked with. And I thought I was just reinforcing structuralist view if I you know, set them down and did 20 different assessments. And I didn't want to continue to propagate that idea with them because I'm uh, in so many ways I'm trying to undo that story and so if my assessments are continuing that story I don't want to be a part of that so I have moved away from that a good bit um, of course you know we all know that some buy-in may be gained with you know confidence if, if you can say you know Oh yeah, this is external rotation. <laughs> so at the very minimum. So I still do things like I got together with somebody yesterday that I felt like he needed to see me. I needed to demonstrate some biomechanical knowledge to him, him particularly. So as usual, it's, you know, person to person. But I will also, as I continue to work with him, try to undo that story with him because it's it's just not how it is as we've all come to know yes that's so interesting when when someone has the ability to take a step back and and review and criticize perhaps our previous narratives and our previous practice because that takes a huge amount of humility and the ability to to defuse from you know our identity as biomechanical experts and yes a caveat it matters when it matters we can that's probably for another podcast, but it's, it's interesting how you were able to, to adapt with the literature and with your appraisal of the research. So I'm curious then, what do your assessments look like nowadays? Nowadays, uh, it is definitely person to person, but usually I have the luxury of talking to people for an hour, if talking for an hour is what they, I think would be most valuable for us. Like I met with somebody earlier this week that has been in therapy for a couple of years and we just sat down outside because we could take our mask off outside and sat down outside and 
after she started sharing her story, she started crying. And so for one hour, we sat there and talked. And a lot of times when people come to see me, they have heard from past people that I've worked with, you know, that, oh, he knows everything about biomechanics. And then when I get together with those folks and you realize, oh, this probably does not have nearly as much to do with your biomechanics as you think. So it's person to person, if that's the, the long version. You're adapting according to the, the person's story, the person's experience and their goals. It, it's not a systemized, structured approach. No, not at all. It is very fluid. So, and I think that's the, I personally love where we have landed as a business and as a model of how to do what we do over the last five years, I have been really happy, not to say that I've you know, stopped growing and, and learning, but I've become so content that's, that's not a bad word to do things like we do them and it's dynamic and we love it for the the listeners out there inspired to to take on this approach did you have say role models along this journey in terms of formal courses or social media inspiration or any role models for the way that you're you're building this new culture and way of thinking truthfully we didn't we, uh, and you know, it's funny, I used to like emulate some of the people that I wanted to be like that in our little world. And I'm so far from that now. And honestly, I think what really, what really was a great advantage to us was our limitations legally. We can't do soft tissue work. All we can do is talk, so sit, and just ask somebody about their life and exercise. And sometimes the exercises we ask people to do have really nothing to do with the gym. So oftentimes it does, but a lot of times if I think it's a better way in for somebody, you know, to start training their dog to do obstacles and stuff, and that's how they get their exercise in, then sure, that's the best way. So we didn't really, it was, it was our confines that, that led to our way. Very interesting. So this often there can be some ideas that we are limited if we are unable to do the, the hands-on therapies, but you actually use that constraint and made an opportunity to then expand on all things conversation and person-to-person -person skills and active therapies. That's, that's really cool. I wanted to, to talk about the idea that perhaps we can use the term exercise to encompass things like injuries, things like pain within it versus trying to separate the therapeutic exercise or rehab even from just general exercise. It's perhaps it's a bit more of a spectrum whereas we're all on the same, on the same line of just movement in general. So what's your, your take on, on those terms that we use? So we've all moved away from the term corrective exercise, but therapeutic exercise just gets to be grandfathered in. And I honestly think it's one of, I think it devalues exercise to the public, just general exercise. And it 
mystifies therapeutic exercise to everybody. And I would like to kind of level that down, in my opinion, to make make it more known that there's nothing mystical about therapeutic exercise. It's exercise. And to know also that exercise in general is medicine. So it's somehow, I, I wish we could bring the medical appreciation to a demedicalized system of exercise. The common, so I'm totally with this and I feel like it would be a huge step forward for both the medical community as well as the general public if we were to value just general movement and it would be perhaps less of a barrier if we see it through that lens versus, oh no, I have to do rehab first. I have to do therapeutic exercise. I have to go to a specialized clinic and do these specific exercises before I can get back into my meaningful activities of playing with my dog or of, of hiking. Yeah, if we, if we want to shift beliefs across society, if, if we want to completely rethink the model, which I think that's where we are as practitioners and clinicians, then yes, I think we should just do away with the notion altogether. The common rebuttals that I hear on this tact is, you know, when a physical therapist talks about active therapy and the value that there is in there, that some of the responses are, you're just a, a glorified trainer or how, and that comes from a fear of wanting to differentiate themselves and um, be more than just a trainer. And I really despise that term because I would prefer everyone to be just trainers then and just improve in all aspects of being a trainer. So what, what would be your response in terms of those who want to, are still hanging on to the ability to, to differentiate themselves away from trainers? Should there even be a hierarchy? In my humble opinion, <laughs> no, I don't think there should be a, a hierarchy. I, again, I think it just continues the confusion. And I appreciate what people have gone through for you know, advanced degrees. Uh, I absolutely appreciate that. We're not talking about their career. We're talking about public health. We're talking about people's health. And that's the thing that we need to adapt to in order to better facilitate that. And if that means putting some things down, then we should, we should put those things down. And when, when we changed our way, uh, we had to say, uh, the evidence does not support how we've been doing what we're doing. And people saw that shift years ago, but they appreciated our honesty. And they appreciated that we were willing to give up some ideas in order to better take care of them. We're very open with everybody that comes to our shop um, and they've realized that they can get help. They can, what, what you would, typically think of as therapeutic help, um, they've realized, oh, I can go to these classes and these folks will help me in class with you know, my OA. So no, I think it's a disservice to public to be totally honest. And I hope that doesn't 
uh, upsetting by too bad because it's really not about their career choice that I'm talking about. It's about a better way. And maybe for a more I ideal future, we'd all be having uh, similar titles, similar qualifications and, and levels of expertise so that we can all be treating with the same evidence base or be treating with the, the same guideline based care versus all these camps of traditional chiro osteopath, exercise physiology, physical therapy. And then there's all these inner battles and in groups and out groups and, and othering involved. So if we're all here to under the same core values and principles of helping, of helping the public with healthcare and building resilience and getting away from sick care, maybe we, we can all unite under some form of, of a common ground. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing the common ground here and the, the value that we see in, in building communication skills, in conversation, in, in having a relationship with someone, building that therapeutic alliance to get them towards their, their meaningful activities. There's just all these barriers in place that keep these camps alive. What do, you, what do you feel are perhaps some solutions to, to some of these, the barriers to uh, promoting exercise holistically and de-threatening pain, normalizing it as part of the process? We have given pain the command that it has in our culture. And we contextualize it with the model that we have for musculoskeletal care. So we made it the employer rather than the employee by how we designed our care and our system of care, I should say. And so, so honestly, to just kind of reiterate what we were talking about, I think the medicalization of exercise would be one of the best things to do. And that differentiation is such a hurdle to so many people. And so, it's really just repeating what we just said. I think to level all the fields and declutter and try to get rid of all the fringe uh, as much as possible would be the best way. I think we all see that, but how to, how to bring it to fruition is not the easiest thing to do. So, but in my opinion, uh, that's one of the best things we could do to shift beliefs. And I think a, a caveat to this is after clearing red flags, if we need a higher level of, of care or a referral to something from a you know, clear mechanism of injury, then we can look at, okay, if this is something that someone can work with, let's, let's build up that person's capacity and build up what they, they can do. And our response to their pain and injury could also be changed. So we're not responding in a way that makes them feel like they need a different sort of, of therapeutic exercise or, you know, feeding that understanding when they search Google images for rehab, when they search their injuries, they, they Google their diagnosis, they go down that rabbit hole. They have friends and family that perhaps perpetuate these ideas of, very self-limiting ideas of pain and injury and, and medical conditions. So to get people out of that, I feel like we need a culture like one that you're building in Paragon, where we're de-threatening pain, where, where people are in classes and working with managing 
their symptoms and still being able to have a, a healthy, positive social environment that facilitates just healthcare and, and healthy living, healthy lifestyles. Yes, <laughs> that's exactly it. So, and you know, that's how when, so I work with quite a few local doctors and uh, who happen to be a few of my orthos and then one is actually a pain doc. And when I go on my little rants, cause I do this pretty often, I, I, this is pretty much all I think about to tell you the truth. And how we should say something is a medical issue is if in the case of red flags or something along those lines. Otherwise, it is, it is, in my humble opinion, not a medical issue. So that's where I like to draw the line, or that, that is where the, lo- the line is drawn, actually. So, and I think it does normalize it for people's experience with pain and what we would call injury. And, um, and one of the ladies I'm working with right now, she has said how nothing felt threatening when she was here. And it was actually the lady that became pretty upset when we started talking and sad about her process over the last couple of years. And, uh, and then the others, one of the other things you said with building a, a relationship with those folks, like I, I am trying to be very clear with people that it, there's not a clear process for every person. So we are going to design this process together. And that is one of the first things, if it, the first hour that I spend with somebody, they'll leave knowing that, that it, this is our design for them and they're not gonna get print out. It's not a canned process that these folks uh, just get doled out. It's a customized, almost daily process that we build together. So what I'm hearing after clearing for red flags and being aware of it as well as, as we go along through the process, it gets away from the, the medical world or the, the medical form of treatment and into very much a, a process-oriented, healthcare-oriented treatment for them. Uh, and perhaps even the word treatment can be taken out into just, just training. But again, that's ticking my bias. I'm sure there's other rebuttals out there um, and other barriers to this. And I feel like there's many other things that we can change in the healthcare industry. So I'm seeing the terms that we use, such as you know treatment, therapeutic exercise, corrective exercise. So what else should we be looking to change or replace in our, in our work when helping people? Even signage, even signage suggests to people that you're a patient when you come in here. So from signage to paperwork to every, your, the entire process that people enter into when they are in need of coaching, is what I would call it, or care, suggests to them that they're a patient and they're broken and they're infirmed. Most of these injuries, um, well, none of them are contagious. So why would we sequester people away from their lives into this process that suggests that you're damaged? Some of the hurdles that we have as folks that work 
in exercise is that many people are afraid of exercise and it's taken on its own life of vanity. And so in order to change cultural beliefs about what exercise is for, and then it would take a while to do that. And exercise, as we know, isn't a panacea also. It, there are other folks that would need a different way. And a lot of times I'll get together with those folks and talk to them until I feel like I can find a better way for them and, and refer them out to somebody that better suits them. So we're replacing the terms, say, patient with client, athlete, person. We're using healthcare and a salutogenic model versus a sick care or illness injury model. At the same time, I, we would need to obviously validate their diagnoses because they've probably gotten some stories and some narratives and some beliefs from previous healthcare medical professionals. So how, how then do you communicate with other professionals? You mentioned you would, you would reach out and tag team with, with others and it's very much a, a team multidisciplinary process. How do you communicate this line of thinking with other professionals? You know, I guess we all have our specialty. So, and we all share a similar view of this process now, which is really nice to have in, in our community of varying disciplines. So I guess it just depends on, you know, what, what is needed for that person really. And, and that's how we end up sharing people and helping people. Another kind of rebuttal that I'm hearing in, in my mind from common responses would be, how do we then market this? Do we need to change our entire approach, our sometimes some brands out there with fixing in the title, with marketing messages on websites that promote more of a, a different approach? How can we how can we market this to the to the masses and change or perhaps mold some expectations before they even walk into our facility? This is my weak point, Daniel. <laughs> so what has done our marketing is word of mouth. We have, we really don't market at all. And, but it is spread through our town um, just by word of mouth. This is a good place to be taken care of. As far as marketing beyond that, it's not really something that I'm really good at. And thank God that we have a good reputation because <laughs> it's done the work for us. That speaks volumes in itself. So it's, if we provide a high quality service and care, people will refer, people will spread the message and do the marketing for us. So that goes with social, social psychology principles. If people are comfortable and safe in your context that you provide and the results that you facilitate, I think that, that does the work for you, right? Absolutely. Yeah. That is how we have, that's how we built our business. We, have not leaned on anything other than that. I see you guys as one of the, the most prominent gym facilities and, and communities out there that are promoting this very much a holistic and de-threatening pain using training and, and healthcare and just changing the face of training and gym and medical care in general within your community. So 
for the listeners out there who are looking to also build this reputation that you've done so well with Paragon Athletics. What are some tips, some advice? How can we lead by example and influence our local communities as you guys have been doing so well? Steer away from dogma, I think is one of the best things and speak slowly, I think also is one of those things that helps. So to be too reactionary or, or if you want to just be right, those are dangerous, dangerous things to take on as, uh, if you're trying to work with people and help people. So simple. It's that perhaps the, the process is a lot more complex and, and challenging. And with your community outreach, I know you've done a few talks and you've, you're well known as being vocal in your community. So what are some examples that you've done in terms of events or community building initiatives to, to spread the message that you're sending throughout your community? A few years ago, I started giving a talk called Pain and Performance. And we have a PT school here in town and we also get interns from exercise science and fitness wellness. So our local university sends us interns. So I did speaking, we reached out to the university, we've been involved there and we basically anytime, when I was younger, I used to, I was so afraid to speak in front of people that I would just take a fail grade when I was really little. (laughs) And so, but now what keeps me up at night is when I get to give those talks is the excitement of it. Um, because I get to share a better story about our health. I don't dread it at all. I literally wish I could just do it more often. So I've done a little public speaking and then I've gotten involved with university also. Trying to poke holes in this community that you've built and this message that you're sending, but so far I'm finding it really difficult because you're doing so well. You're, you're using the, you're building the community or you're, you're helping people in the right way in terms of building their their health in terms of getting them away from the medical merry-go-round within some systems that we would be really constrained by. You're normalizing the process. You're making pain an employee, not an employer. What's the next step then for you? What, what are you looking to, to build in, in the future and respecting the current constraints with the, the pandemic? What do you see as your, the future that you're trying to build towards? What's the next step? Yeah, COVID has definitely thrown a, a curve in the process because it, it, it's literally my dream to see maybe not Paragon Athletics in every community, but some facilities like this, because I, I don't think that's realistic, but I, I, it is absolutely realistic that this could happen around the country and further. But I'm having to rethink how that all works now because it's a little different. That doesn't mean that it's not going to come back to, you know, in time how we were, but it's definitely different. We've we've also designed a course that we were pretty close to being finished up with. We have a PT friend where he's a researcher at West Point and he and we were all, we've been designing this course for probably a year and a half now. And that was close to being wrapped up, but that has been put on the back shelf because we're, 
building wings while falling <laughs> with our business right now. So um, thankfully we've moved everything online and we have provided some courses with, to help uh, or some protocols to help with common musculoskeletal processes. So that is a question that might not have a real answer to it just yet. Mate, you are leading the charge. And if there was a Paragon Athletics in Sydney, I would be a lifelong member. So Ryan, it's been an absolute pleasure hearing your story and hearing your journey and learning more about the work that you do in Arizona. It's, it's, a, it's an inspiration. So for the listeners out there, how can they reach you, contact you, find out more about you? Uh, you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook. And then also if you want to reach out to me at Ryan at Paragon Athletics, uh, that's also an option. Mate, amazing. Thank you so much, Ryan. I, it's been an absolute pleasure actually meeting you and, and hearing your story. It's um, like I said, we need more, more gyms like yours. I, I wish there were more of us too, man. I, I, we could help a lot of people. Thanks so much for your compliments.